I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. I'm here today with one of WUNC's youth reporters, Lulu Bada. How are you doing today, Lulu? I'm great, thanks. Lulu was an incoming freshman at NC State and graduated from the North Carolina School of Science and Math this past May. She joined WNC's staff this summer as a part of the 2017 Youth Reporting Institute and wanted to probe into race relations and sports. Lulu, tell us a little bit about your story. So my story focuses on the closing of the NCANT swim team and how that affected both black swimmers on the team and swimmers out in the community. Great, great. That sounds dope. Let's hear the story. Right now, Amani Davies is teaching kids how to swim, one of the only ways she can stay in the pool after the North Carolina A&T State University swim program was cut last year. The sound of kids splashing in a pool would remind most of the summers. But for Amani, it reminds her of all the hard work she and her teammates put into swimming. Cold, cold water and pushing ourselves to work out every day, 6 o'clock in the morning, three times a day. Before 2016, a was one of only two historically black universities to have an active swim team. But after the 2016 season, the a swim team was forced to shut down. For Amani, the end came far too soon. I regret, you know, not doing anything my two years while I was here. We didn't do enough. Losing the team was a huge disappointment for Amani's teammate, Justice Montgomery. It felt like the world had been taken right right from up under my feet. For Justice, swimming on an all-black collegiate team was a dream come true. I was so excited when I joined because everything was so, everything felt bright. It just felt right, you know, like what you see in movies. Justice says part of the beauty of being on the team was that it was the first time for many of the athletes where they were on an all-black competitive team, not being forced to play the role of the token black girl. We all, um, at one point, were either the only or one of the few um, black girls on their team, and we all came from feeling out of place. Um, I think that's what kind of pulled us together so tight. Just take a look at the most recent team photos from the six largest swim programs in the state. Among the hundreds of student athletes at schools including Duke, Carolina, and Davidson, only six are black. Only six total. So when a picture of the all-black Aggie swim team appeared on Instagram, you can tell why it went viral. It's a line of black girls in swimsuits. Speedo swimsuits with their arms crossed, with some powerful legs. So, you know, there was endless representation on top of representation. There was something about it that anybody could resonate with. Justice says after the photo, her inbox blew up. I got tons of messages um, from moms, and my mom got messages from moms. And I got so so many messages from so many little girls um, telling me that they wanted to swim, they wanted to come to A&T, they wanted to swim with me. Part of the reason the photo was so popular is that we don't see a lot of black swimmers represented as role models. Oh, and then there's the stereotype that black people don't swim. I think that stereotype is so stupid, but it's so real at the same time. I hate it. Having representation in the sport is important. For Katie Hutchinson, head coach of the all-black swim team, the Aqua Blazers, that's why losing the A&T swim team was such a blow. Oh, I was mad because there's only so many. Like, there's only so many black swim teams and black female swim teams as it is. It's a dying breed. Katie says being a black swimmer is about more than just getting medals. 
She says the stakes are higher for black athletes competing in a sport dominated by white people. You know the rule where it's like you have to be double as good to be half as, you know what I mean? Like that rule pertains to swimming too. I have to be super, super fast to even be respected as a swimmer, even on a small scale. While there are injustices faced by black swimmers, coaches like Katie haven't given up on the movement to make their faces known, like Justice and Amani, who are done with college swimming, but are still inspiring the next generation of black swimmers. In fact, Amani hopes to one day start her own aquatic center. Head down. For WUNC's Youth Reporting Institute, I'm Lulu Bata. That story was really, really cool, and it went in depth with a lot of voices. I know it took a lot of work, so how difficult was the process in reporting this story? Yeah, so it was extremely difficult because most of the people I wanted to interview lived in Greensboro, so that trek alone was really hard. And then trying to pinpoint why exactly it was closed, what happened, and the feelings about it were just completely on opposite ends of the spectrum. So trying to sort of keep personal feelings out of it and like stick to the fact that this is a major blow to the community was really hard when there were so many emotions that went into it. Hmm. So I noticed that you um, kind of focused more so on its effect and not so what caused it. What, um, what made you not tell us about why the program got cut in the first place? There was so much hearsay surrounding the cut. It was, you know, a lot of he said, she said, you know, this happened and that happened. And so it wasn't really condensed into one reason. Um, so it made it hard to sort of pinpoint one exact reason and, you know, blame it all on that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really awesome that you were able to get sound because, you know, with the a swim team being cut, I'm pretty sure they're not doing practices. So how, how what was that process like getting sound when nothing actively was happening? That was, I think, the most strenuous process because it all boiled down to luck since none of them are in the pool. Um, it's not like I could have shown up to one of their practices and be like, hey, let me record you. Or none of them were taking any swim lessons or anything like that, except Imani um, and Justice, who were both teaching swimming. But the schedules were so offhand and random that it, it really came down to, like, essentially luck, you know, that I got sound and was able to, you know, get sound of Imani teaching. And it was beautiful and, like, crisp, and you could really tell – um, so yeah, essentially luck because nothing was really working for me in the sound department <laughs> up until like the very, very end. Thank you, Lulu. That was very insightful. And I'm glad that we got this beautiful piece out of you because it's wonderful and you're dope. I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin with the WUNC Youth Podcast. We just heard from youth reporter Lulu Bata about the challenges of producing a story from a different perspective. Last summer, youth reporter Jelomori Diabate had a similar experience when he produced his piece on his aspirations of playing college basketball. My father, Mamadou Diabate, is one of the best choral players in the world. He knows the discipline it takes to excel at his craft. Well, no, nobody beat me in competition. And there is no choral player in the world I'm afraid to compete against because I know who I am. I believe myself. I know my talent. I don't play chora. I play basketball. 
Like many high school basketball players, I dream of playing at the next level on a college basketball team. Throughout my spring and summer, I've spent hundreds of hours in gyms like this one at Prolific Park in Greensboro. I travel with the Bull City Silverbacks. It's an AAU team that plays in front of college scouts and coaches from NCAA Division I, II, and three schools. Jason Porter, the scouting director for All-Star Preps, has dedicated his life to evaluating players and helping them play college ball. While almost everyone at this tournament shares the dream, Jason says only a few will make it. Usually if you haven't got an offer on you by the end of your junior year, then chances of a D1 happening for you, or even a D2 in some cases, are, are going to be kind of slim. I'm not surprised to hear this. My coaches, parents, and teachers have been telling me for years I might have a chance of playing college ball. I know it's a long shot, but as my friend Justin Kobler says, there's a lot we can do to increase our chances. This past spring, after our season ended, uh, I emailed the coaches at Harvard, Princeton, and Yale because those were all schools I really wanted to go to. All of them responded back. All of them invited me to their team camps. Most camps cost money, sometimes hundreds of dollars, and there's the cost of travel. Justin went to all of these team camps, but still doesn't have an offer from a D1 school. Some of my top colleges for academics and ball are D1. But as a scout, Jason says that may not be an option for me. D1, I would say, percentage-wise, I'd give you about a 1% chance. Cause mm-hmm. Just because if they, if they wanted you, they'd already be on you. Getting a, a D1 is, you, you have a better chance of finding an 18-leaf shamrock mm-hmm. at this point in time. You're, you're a D3 player. My dad definitely believes that education is the priority for my future. But he still wants me to excel at the sport I love. How would you feel if I didn't end up playing college basketball? Well, it would be sad for me if you don't play. But, uh, you know, let's focus. Let's see what's going to happen this, uh, this years and a half before your graduation. Okay? You don't give up. You stay fighting. You don't back up. That's the competition there. I'm still working hard at school and pursuing college basketball. Justin and I are leading our team as seniors in the winter, so college coaches, if you're listening, we'll be working. For WUNC's Summer Youth Reporting Institute, I'm Jelly Mori Diabate. That piece was produced by Jelly Mori Diabate for the 2016 Youth Reporting Institute. I'm Kamaya Truant-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. Thanks for listening.